Throughout our life, we make all kinds of connections. From our neighbors to our co-workers, from family members to people we interact with in business every day. What about the connections we make to ourself? Today, we'll explore the connections that we make and how they define our lives. This is Things Worth Considering with hosts Gord Riddell and Dr. Jan Hill. It's time to listen and learn. Hi, and uh, welcome to another episode of Things Worth Considering. This is Cord Riddell. Uh, our uh, guest host is not here with us this evening, uh, but um, uh, Jan is off taking care of some, some personal things called a leak in her house. Uh, but I'm here with two very special guests, uh, friends of mine. Um, I have Mr. Ron Young. He is the CEO of the Havening Institute. And uh, Michelle DeRoche, who is um, one of the only practitioners in the city of Toronto, actually, in the Havening Technique. Mm-hmm. Um, and she is also a uh, instructor here at Transformational Arts College. She's one of our stars uh, in the psychotherapy program. So I'm really pleased to have both of you. Welcome. Well, we're happy to be here. That's right. Thanks, Thank Great. Great. It's really cool. So we're going to be talking uh, a bit about uh, uh, what you do. We're going to talk a lot about what you do. Um, but let me tell you a little bit about who, uh, first of all, who Mr. Ron Young is. Uh, he's a traumatologist. Uh, he's also president and CEO of the Havening Institute of Canada. Uh, he is recently a retired professor of psychology and sociology, and he serves the medical trust clinics in the Oshawa area, just outside of the city, uh, with a multidisciplinary medical team approach. Um, he's a workshop at keynote speaker for trauma encoding and neuroscience modality of the amygdala depotentiation techniques, affectionately known as havening. And what that means, because I didn't know what it means, it means to bring him back to a safe place. He's board certified in the United States and he's an expert in trauma stress awarded by the Ontario Critical Incident Stress Foundation. He passionately speaks to the effective delinking of past trauma that inhibits present thriving and abundancy. Does that sound like a good intro for you? Awesome. All right. Thank you. Pretty impressive, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> now, let me tell you about Michelle. Michelle is a registered psychotherapist, and she teaches in the spiritual psychotherapy program. Uh, she's one of our key uh, instructors. Uh, her role at TAC is also includes being a case supervisor and an intensive leader. Starting tomorrow morning, she has an intensive. Uh, she graduated from the College of Spiritual and Body Psychotherapy and Spiritual Director Programs. She is also a graduate of the Gestalt Institute and is a, is a certified Gestalt therapist, certified Havening Techniques practitioner, and an Emotional Freedom Technique practitioner. Michelle, you just have them lined up here. This is brilliant. Michelle has co-facilitated groups on women's sexuality as well as general support groups. Uh, she has a private practice in psychotherapy here in Toronto, uh, where she also runs the supervision groups and psychotherapy mentorship programs and is a member of the Ontario Association of Counselors and Psychotherapists. And what and something else? I can't. I can't. I know it's a really long OACCPP. There's all these acronyms, and it's just like you know. I decided to be in an acronym once. I was just going to go by GJR, and it just didn't fly. It didn't fly. I'll call you that. I figured, hey, if we have KFC and KPMG, I wanted to be GJR, but it didn't work. So. Here's Gord. Um, anyways, um, let's uh, let's start with a place like uh, what is Havening. This is just an, an interesting. I know it centers around trauma, uh, a very very researched area. Tell us about it. Thank you for asking that question. It's one of my passionate themes in my practice. Havening is a relatively new neuroscience protocol. 
uh, in the last 12 to 18 years. And it's a neuroscience protocol that simply brings the emotional system to a calm state, particularly in the organelle known as the amygdala. Havening, uh, the affectionate term for amygdala depotentiation, it is really a transitive word that means to bring back to a safe place, which is the intention of the havening technique, to bring hmm. the body and the mind back to a perception of safety. Now, you know, that's interesting when you say that to bring back because the, the root word of education is to bring back that which we already know. There's, there's a, a just a, it just hit me now. There's a bit of a correlation between those two things. That a lot of people say, well, this feels really familiar with what we're studying. And it's like, yeah, because you already know it at some level. It's, it's bringing it bringing it back out. Now, you know, when we talk about trauma, we we go back a few years and really – Sort of the first time it was really identified in a major way was after World War One, yes. uh, when they talked about shell shock. Yes. And the soldiers coming back and they they you know had a great deal of difficulty you know coming back into uh, the country, and back into their their families and so on. Um, but this has nothing to do with military. I mean, it does obviously. They they would benefit from this. Uh, but we've grown a long way past that and under, right. understand trauma. Mm-hmm. I think quite differently. Uh, the, just the whole definition has just expanded enormously yes. as we studied it. Uh, do you want to talk a bit about no. what um, where we go with trauma? Trauma has been a research subject for many years now, and as you mentioned. Um, there seems to be a lot of definitions, but in the neuroscience world, we define trauma as an event that overwhelms the system and derails the body's uh, ability to function and alters the brain chemistry and the brain's ability to address the reality. And it, and it is an understanding that the mind-body has a connection and we can transform what we do and who we are intrinsically it can be changed from a trauma event. So trauma impacts not not simply behavior, but the way we do life. Right, so right. So when something is encoded like an event, it's encoded it, it, it's encoded electrochemically in that place called the amygdala, and that's it's, it's uh, something called a hypergamma wave, which then gets released into the electrochemical system. Mm. That's a neuroscience. Uh, yeah, yeah, word. yeah. But there, there are certain criteria which has to be met for an encoding of trauma. Trauma being this perception of inescapability, a perception of I am no longer safe. And this is a neurobiologic perception. So our system then is now holding on to the experience, saying basically, if we survive this, we're going to remember this forever. And the isn't, that, isn't that how people are doing their daily lives? Yes, yes. I mean, the stress level, it is out there. You Basically, if I survive this, you know, I can pretty much take on anything. But that amygdala says, I'm not going to forget it. And yeah, yeah. makes you more sensitive about that uh, situation. Because inherent in all of us is a threat stimulus that we all as humans are born with. A child, for example, crawling across a ledge and then the child perceives a pexiglass. Doesn't know it's a pexiglass, but there's a ledge that continues, but visually looks like it's dropping down and the ledge continues, the child will actually stop because as a species, we're not hardwired to go off cliffs. Good. So we're, we're, we're <laughs> I hate when that happens. Hard, hardwired not to be trapped either, among other unconditioned threat stimulus, which we refer to in, in, in psychology as a UTS, unconditioned threat stimulus. So the hardwired experiences can be ignited in our present day life and get encoded. And then the amygdala says, 
I'm going to keep you safe. That's the whole paradigm of the amygdala is to keep me safe. So I might end up with a, a fear of heights, uh, a stronger fear of sensitivity of heights where I can't go up a ladder, go up a staircase or, you know, uh, climb a cliff after that event. Right now she's super sensitive. The amygdala is super sensitive to that. So the hardwired experiences can be ignited in our present day life and get memorized. So the past becomes our present, even though there is no actual threat. It's encoded. Right, right. But I mean, isn't that what we know about the subconscious is the fact that it's uh, it it is not within the same sort of time. Uh, time-space paradigm no. that our consciousness is operating in. Yes. So it doesn't know when, whether I'm five or whether I'm 50. Uh, I keep telling you I'm five. Um, it believes it. Well, I have clients and patients who are 60, 70 years old, and they get emotionally involved crying, and their whole body shivers and shakes for something that happened when they were seven. Mm-hmm. And they can, it's powerful. They can remember it, yes. Yeah, it's really powerful. And, and I don't think that... You know, I don't think enough credibility has been given in this in the psychotherapeutic world, uh, in some ways, to how important it is that that early, you know, the early trauma is really the, yeah. the definer. Yes, it defines everything. It defines our relationships. It defines, you know. Right. So when we talk about trauma today, the trauma could be losing my job. Yes, it could be uh, divorcing. Uh, uh, it could be the death of a parent, death yes. of a child, or our spouse, anyone who's close to us, uh, bankruptcy. Sort of anything that just, uh, I, I like the word derails you. Yes. Yeah, that you used. Uh, because when that derail happens, it's like you can barely breathe. Yes, we are, we are encoded with, uh, we are designed with fears, our reputation, the meaning we give to our body, uh, our calling and what who we are. If we lose our reputation, lose our job, that can be traumatic for somebody. Yeah. Our role as a father, as a mother, as a husband, as a wife. That can be devastating for us. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You know, or a bad, or um, an ill health. You know, to get a diagnosis oh, yes, of, yes. of you know, cancer or AIDS Very or anything so. like that, mm-hmm. um, is devastating. Um, the the you know the whole thing with uh, the trauma is that um, you know I think we've we've we underestimate the impact that these kind of life events have on us, mm-hmm. and and I think I I believe that's what Haven is doing. It's also making me think too. A little bit of, you know, pulling over to another one of my areas uh, is, the, is Buddhism, where it says, you know, our suffering is in direct proportion to the value we place on something. Yes. So, you know, the more things we have and, and we have an attachment to, yes. the greater suffering that we have. That's the meaning part, right, of those four components that Ron talked about, like yes. the meaning attached to it would tie into that attachment. That, exactly, that exactly, yeah. Yeah, that's just, that's just what I'm seeing because I, you know, DBT, uh, uh, dialectical behavior therapy, is is you know has a foundation right in Zen Buddhism. Uh, you know, it's it's the only it's the only you know modality in the world that actually has a in in one of the world religions has a, a base in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so when I'm hearing this, I'm like, well, gee, this is kind of a little bit. It's not saying it directly, but it's sounding a little bit like Buddhism that mm-hmm. that says, you know, when you the more value you put on something, the greater that we're going to suffer. Yes. yes. You know, uh, and, and you know the attachment. Uh, there's the whole stuff of attachment theories, and and that, that's important. But uh, we really do have an attachment to things that are 
incredibly unnecessary in our life. To be you know, fair to our adolescent humans that we share the planet with, you know, <laughs> when they when they lose their iPhone or their iPhone <laughs> is broken or it's fallen into the toilet, this, I mean, there are other features that have to be involved in the trauma, but that is traumatizing to them because they give a lot of meaning. They get their friends on there, their contacts, their pictures. It's important to them. Oh, yeah. That, well, it's their life. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Their whole social status just went down the toilet. Oh, your status, exactly. <laughs> you have to use your dad's old one. You know. <laughs> uh, so, Michelle, I'm really curious, what drew you to Havening? Well, interestingly enough, um, in my intro, you talked about that I work as a supervisor, um, and I was supervising a therapist who uses Havening a lot. And so I learned a lot. Um, I learned a lot about Havening through her work. I obviously wasn't supervising her on Havening because I didn't know anything about it at the right. time. But, um, you know, I was thinking about the sort of methods that I would use in with a client in the situations that her clients were in. But she was using Havening instead. And I just intrinsically knew that the results that she was getting would not have been the same as the results that I would get or it would mm-hmm. take a lot longer Right, and, you right. know, so I, I could not ignore the fact that she was bringing in this method that was proving to be way more effective than, you know, some of the stuff that I would have normally done with my clients. Right. So I have to say that's what really got my me curious about it. And um, so then I sort of looked into how to get that training myself. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's... Uh, it's not a, a, a standalone. I mean, it, it can be used with um, all kinds of other things from what I'm understanding, like CBT and, yes. and, you know, even psychodynamic therapy or whatever. So it's not a standalone right. thing uh, on its own. I mean, one thing that's kind of happened in my practice is I've had people who, you know, find out that I do havening. And as you said, right now, I'm the only, as of this recording, I'm the only one in Toronto doing it. I think that's about to change. Um, but... So some people will come specifically because they want to experience that technique. So they book a havening session with me and it becomes a standalone. But um, with the rest of my practice and clients, you know, it it sort of is now a tool that I have and I'll, you know, scan my my tools when I'm listening to them. And and sometimes it's very, very clear to me that the best choice in those moments is to to do havening and I'll I'll put it forward to them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of how I've been using it, you know, kind of in an integrative way. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you, made, you made some comment about, well, there's two of them that I'm curious about. One is you, you uh, uh, Ron, refer to the amygdala as the CEO of the fear circuitry. Yes, it is, because it is, it is the key primer for uh, the system biologically, neurobiologically. The amygdala is the CEO of the fear circuitry because she is responsible. We say she because we <laughs> often call her Amy. Uh, oh, okay. Responsible to keep us safe. And she's monitoring around us all the time and through our sensory systems. Mm-hmm. How are we doing? Are we okay? Are we safe? And it's a very ancient part of the brain, the yes, limbic system. Absolutely. Yeah. It's located in the, the limbic system. There's actually two amygdalae, but we don't usually speak about two of them. But um, the amygdala uh, is, is primary goal is to keep us safe. That's it. Right. Now, see, uh, I've always known the amygdala as being the part that once the prefrontal has figured out that what we're doing is highly repetitive, mm-hmm. another habitual, yeah. it hands it back to, to Amy, and uh, she takes over and runs the whole thing, yeah. which was what allows us to do, you know, you know, to, to drive and talk and listen to the radio and chew gum, smoke cigarettes and walk, you know, mm-hmm. uh, all at the same time. 
Uh, um, and that's that's what I, my understanding of that was. I never really heard heard it. Although I do I do know if we don't get to do things in a proper order, well, how how uh, devastating a day could be for somebody. Oh yes, absolutely. For some, you know, a, a, a trauma for some people be that be, could be chronic fatigue, and having to get up and wash your hair can be very traumatic for somebody. Mm. And and the rational mind, the as you pointed out, the mid prefrontal cortex, and Amy, the emotional mind, they will argue with each other. And sometimes people will say to me, "I feel like I'm crazy," and I'll say, "Why, why do you say that? Because I'm I can't understand why I can't think this thing through." <laughs> and then they behave reactively, and then I will say to them, "Well, it's <laughs> actually it's not you. It's Amy." Amy is reacting. It's not you, and that. that I'm so glad you told me I have voices in my head because I was getting worried about this, and it was that girl's voice that I was kept hearing. (laughs) Now I think this is a good place for us to take a break here. Uh, We're going to carry on on the other side of the break. This is Gord Riddell. We will be back in a couple of minutes to things worth considering. on Facebook along with some of the greatest minds of the world and that includes you visit us on Facebook at Voice America Empowerment imagine a place where ancient wisdom and modern research combine to create a non-judgmental dynamic educational environment we believe learning is much more than just theories it is the application of those theories that anchor your learning deep inside yourself Our physical, emotional, intellectual, and spiritual selves are embraced and nurtured, learning how to create an internal balance. This is Transformational Arts College of Spiritual and Holistic Training. Since 1988, we continue our mission of spiritually focused education for all who seek. We offer integrative personal development and professional training in spiritual psychotherapy, holistic health care, spiritual director, coaching, and esoteric studies. We are located in Lawrence Park in Toronto on Young Street, north of Lawrence Avenue. It's easy to get to and harder to leave. Visit our website at transformationalarts.com or inquire at TAC at transformationalarts.com or call us toll free at 1-888-TAC-SELF. Transformational Arts, bringing body, mind, and spirit together. Become a member of voiceamerica.com. It's easy and best of all, it's free. Start out by going to our homepage or any of our channels and click register at the top. Once you've created an account and signed in, you can create your own custom library, opt into our newsletter, search by show, host, guest, or topic of interest, or browse millions of hours of content across all of our Voice America radio channels. Membership gets you more. Visit voiceamerica.com today to get started and tailor the listening experience to your taste. We're on Facebook along with some of the greatest minds of the world, and that includes you. Visit us on Facebook at Voice America Empowerment. You are listening to Things Worth Considering with Gord Riddell and Dr. Jan Hill. We'd love to hear from you via email to info at spiritgrows.ca. That's info at spiritgrows.ca. Now, Back to Things Worth Considering. Hi, this is Gordon Riel, and we're back with Things Worth Considering. Uh, I have my guests, uh, Mr. Ron Young and uh, Michelle DeRoche, uh, who uh, is one of our instructors here at uh, 
Transformational Arts College. Uh, what we're talking about today is actually a havening technique uh, in the Havening Institute of Canada. Now, um, we're doing lots of talking about the amygdala, uh, which is kind of an interesting one mm-hmm. uh, because it's all about trauma, and I think we all are familiar with that. So, um, what what about now? Uh, there's this ACEs studies, uh, the the adverse childhood event study that came out. What about that? How does that play into this? Kaiser Etel, it's a longitudinal study study about childhood trauma and the different aspects of trauma for children. For example, divorce or or domestic violence, uh, bullying at school, for example. And the idea in the study made a discovery that any person with two or more ACEs, as they call it, or an adverse childhood event, uh, has a 70 to 80 percent greater likelihood of being hospitalized from an autoimmune disorder or an emotional pathology like uh, anxiety or depression. And I think people lose sight of, of is that you can you can really have um, good child givers uh, caregivers as a child and still have really difficult experiences. It depends on the the genetic landscape, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But what we're discovering is uh, is this. Um, the study from Kaiser Etel has had a profound effect on how we see adults. Right, right. Their trauma. And their trauma. They're just reliving some of it. The child's going to record the sense of unsafe. You can imagine a child that goes to school where they're bullied. Yeah, and, I was, that's what I was thinking. And Amy, the amygdala, says, don't go there, don't go there. She creates um, biological and as well as neurobiological emotions and physiology to avoid going to that place, but you know, I have to go to school, and so the child goes to school, and eventually they, they their body mind says, I need an oasis, I need a safe place to go. So sometimes they get into addiction. Sometimes they'll get into drugs or alcohol or some other form of addiction uh, in adolescence that um, may permeate their adult life. Mm. Of course, as you know, when we are stuck in an addic- addiction, that can create all kinds of behavioral problems in reality and in life. And what we know is that the younger you start, yes. uh, for instance, with alcoholism, uh, the younger you start, the uh, more, the more difficult it is to get rid of. I have clients who are who are beautiful human beings who are stuck on cocaine, who are not very pleased with their behavioral response. They've lost everything, and when I talk to them and get their history, I find out that horrible things happened to them when they were a child. And mm-hmm. instead of focusing on the symptomology, I focus on the trauma of their childhood. And interesting enough, enough I mean, there's other complications here, of course, yeah. complexities, I should say, that um, the need for and the desire for the cocaine is no longer present. And once the amygdala goes back to homeostasis or to a safety, the signal is no longer there, then the person says, well, I don't have a craving for that anymore. Right. And it uh, d- depends. On the, on the context, but this has been my experience dealing with addiction. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, one of my specialty areas, and, uh, you know, I was really quite curious, given what I'm hearing and I'm reading about, uh, you know, havening, um, that it would make sense that this should be a really powerful piece if you're actually mm-hmm. interrupting that, you know, neural pathway. Uh, yes. Because we, we know that if, if you are using a substance, you create a brand new sort of superhighway, the neural pathway there, and it will stay there even when you quit. Mm-hmm. So if you relapse, you're back on that same highway. But yeah. you can also then build all new ones as well. Uh, may I share a, a narrative? Yes, absolutely. Of a, of a client who had come to me with uh, 
uh, 60 years of, of smoking. And uh, she she was in desperation. She had to get she had COPD, and she couldn't breathe. And oh my goodness! And she didn't realize or know why she started it. And she got into a, a group of people. So there was no trauma per se. Mm-hmm. So Haveny had to work uh, on the basis of something else, and um, because she didn't know why. So we worked on the 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 locations. Their kitchen was one. The bedroom was another. The porch was another. Uh, the car was another, and we were able to haven each one of those environs where she didn't have that craving or that need anymore. And it was it was absolutely brilliant, and it was wonderful how her, her Amy, her amygdala said, no, don't need it. We never knew why she started or what the point Yeah, this is what I'm curious about because, I mean, you know, some people started when they were eight. Some people started when they were 18, yeah. you know, but – you know, it was just like, where where does that start? You know, it's like, uh, you know, most addictions sort of is something that builds in. It's just it's there, and it's, you know, so getting at the root root of it before you go anywhere sounds like you know a rather onerous task because, yeah. you know, my my approach is sometimes that you know we're not going to get to the root here, yeah. uh, no matter how long it takes, but you have to quit. Yeah. You know, uh, or at least at least do, you know, some some harm reduction work uh, uh, on it. Um, and people, you know, people don't know why they started cocaine or they started, yeah. you know, well, whatever. You're, you're still very young, but I can recall years ago when smoking was uh, the thing to do. It was part of attachment. That's what men did. Pardon me? That's what men did. That was my model. Yeah. My dad, my grandfather, you know. Yeah. So if you wanted to be a man, then you smoked. The Marlboro Man. The Marlboro Man. I couldn't get a hold of a horse, though. Uh, (laughs) They wouldn't let me have one in the city. Uh, But sure, my brother smoked. Uh, My my mother did not. And any of the women in my family, like my grandmothers and so on, nobody smoked except the men. It was a male, very much a male thing uh, that they did. So that's, you know, is that traumatic, being a male? (laughs) Maybe, but... (laughs) No comment. Yeah, I know, especially in today's <laughs> world. Um, we'll just sort of talk, keep talking here. Um, okay, so um, uh, that, that's quite fascinating then with uh, uh, the whole thing with addictions, uh, that it can be interrupted. Um, and, and interrupting the anxiety that's associated with it. Yes, sir. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that's quite fascinating. Uh, okay, so what, what are, we're jumping ahead here with to the event piece. We talked about that, I think. What about the, the event has meaning? All right, where yes. do we go from there? Um, Dr. Ron and Stephen Rudin out of Manhattan are medical doctors, and they are the ones who went into the lab and made made a discovery about a few things inside of our brain. And this is the paradigm that they realized, and it is that the event has to have you have to get makes you have to give meaning to that event. That meaning is really about attachment and at the core. Of, of us human beings, it's attachment-based. So we, we need community, we need trust, and so we need each other to survive and getting back to the primal amygdala experience as a tribe of people. We encounter a lion in the field, and we're not going to do so well if we're all alone. No, so we might... I mean, it's, 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 that's very much an evolutionary Absolutely. trait that we have. So I give meaning to community, I, I, relationships. 
And if we're out in the field and we have a tribe of people and we come across a lion, our chance of survival is much greater. So we have support. And yep. every society has its own definition of what a lion is, right? <laughs> is that true? <laughs> or a tiger or a bear. <laughs> so the very meaning of that event, uh, nothing has a meaning in life until we give it one. But the very core of the meaning and attachment go hand in hand with the attachment is based on survival. Because remember, the amygdala is about survival. So that event has to happen uh, and that event must have some sort of meaning attachment to my own life, as you mentioned earlier, physically, uh, or someone else's life, life yep. you know, my child. Attachment to an item that is very significant to us. Someone has passed away and they've yeah. passed on some things to us. Um, you are a widow, and there are certain certain items that are extremely important to you, which are connected to your late husband. So you hold on really tightly to those things. Mm-hmm. You may not be necessarily traumatized by it, but it depends on some other features, too, not simply the meaning I give to it. There has to be some other uh, features, too, and traumatized. Right, right, right. So much of, so much of therapy is, is really grounded in loss. Yes, Yes, yes. You know, and the attachment to the loss. It's like, uh, you know, I think that most, I mean, I heard this when I was training 100 years ago uh, that, you know, therapy is about grieving. It's about recognizing all the losses, you know. And it was like, wow, this is really depressing. I don't want to do this. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, in fact, it it is. It's an ongoing process as we, you know, sort of keep peeling back those layers of the onion uh, of who we are. But, I think that that loss thing, we don't really recognize. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we can recognize because yeah. we don't want to believe that we're going to be one of those losses. Yeah, a lot of things are subconscious as well. We're not aware it's happening when it's happening. Mm-hmm. Oh, denial. We love it. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I, I really believe like we have, you know, the way I talk about it is everything that's yucky in our life, we have moved out of our houses. Mm-hmm. All right. In days gone by, when a parent, grandparent was ill, it was taken care of in the home. They died in the home. They were buried from the home. You know, maybe the church en route to the cemetery. But, uh, you know, the fact is, is that the, 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 the viewing, the visitation or whatever they call it, uh, that took place in the home. It still happens in Europe. You know, uh, we have people to take care of that for us. Yes. Yes. Like, could you call my people, my deaf people? Yeah. Um and it's almost like that. So we don't have to. And so I think there's we have this huge illusion yeah. that th- th- we're not going to die. Yeah. And I don't think until we, 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 we own that will we ever understand loss. Funniest thing about uh, in neuroscience, we recognize uh, people are not afraid of death so much as they are about dying. Oh, the process. Absolutely. Yeah. The pain. Yeah. Yeah, uh, well, Woody Allen has that great line that says, "I'm not afraid of I'm not afraid of of, of death. I just don't want to be there when it happens," yeah. <laughs> which is a great. I love that line. But people are very very much afraid of the process of dying. But the process of dying is also a process of living. Excuse me. It is it is the it is the last part of our yes. living. Yeah. But we've we've severed it, and we said, "Oh no, that's that's there," and it goes to that hospital or that hospice. And it, it doesn't stay part of our living. There's the symbolic dying too, right? So if we think about mm. the meanings that we attach to things, there's it, usually those meanings represent some type of a death, you know, death of our reputation, death yes. of our status, death yes. of, right, our identity in some way. Yep. So there's the symbolic deaths too that um, I think create that tra- traumatic link. Yes, 
Yeah, I mean, I think dying is very traumatic, except we're going to get havening on the next expression of life when I'm a spirit. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to be like, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I think this could be carried on um, into into the next uh, next world. Um, You mentioned something about which was really interesting. that there were people that were involved in 9-11, like, like on-site 9-11, mm-hmm. that did not uh, experience PTSD, which I find just like, I mean, we had PTSD watching it on the TV, you know, and what was going on. That leads, leads me to the next uh, aspect of this acronym. In order for an encoding, you have an event, you have to give meaning to that event. But the, you're, you're speaking to about now is about landscaping of the brain, the neurochemistry okay. of the brain at the time. That's why some people may have a very vulnerable landscape and some people have a very resilient landscape. So someone who has a resilient landscape, they may not respond to an event. Uh, We also have vicarious uh, trauma too. So a child is watching a horrible event like 9-11 on television and the parents are crying. They may vicariously take on that trauma of their parent mm-hmm. and because their brain is is vulnerable their landscaping is is vulnerable. or the parents wanted to make sure they took on that <laughs> that's also that's also been uh, we've noticed that too yes so the landscape is a little more vulnerable we call it more permissive for an encoding to take place so you have the event you have to have the meaning of that event but the uh the, the landscape is also very important and if I may, just say the last thing of that acronym, E-M-L-I, I is the perception of inescapability. A person has to believe that the amygdala subconsciously has to believe that it's an inescapable uh, aspect. You, you know, your child or someone sees what happens on 9-11 and another child is, oh, well, that's awful, but, you know, it yeah, depends. Yeah. The perception of inescapability is the key factor in the electrochemical stimulation of that amygdala, that perception mm. I cannot. And you, you I mean, inescapability. In other words, like, do you mean by that of like physically being trapped, or or the the you know the, the the illusion of that I can't get out of this? Yes, it's a perception, and it takes seventy-two milliseconds for that to, to happen. I can be in my car. Why did you just snap your fingers in my face? Sorry about no. that. <laughs> I was, did you, did you do something with the evening? <laughs> Am I supposed to feel something? No, I'm kidding. 72 milliseconds, and even though you survived the event, uh, at one given moment when that amygdala thinks that you're not going to, or it's a perception of, and it could be emotional. It could be trapped in a marriage. It's a, an abusive marriage or trapped mm. in another situation. It is all about perception, right? Yeah, I, I mean, I'm asking that from a personal place because uh, whenever I've experienced that I'm trapped in something, yeah. I get really cranky, yeah. and, and and like I just a, a whole physiological response. Your your amygdala, your Amy might be going back to something in your childhood. I have issues with being lost. I hate being lost, and I can feel this. So I haven myself when I get agitated because I can't find my way, and it's related to something that I was told as a boy. You're stupid, mm. and and that statement had, has lived on with me as I got older. So self-havening is, a, is it also a process where I can self-haven myself to get, let go of that. So when I get lost, it's no big deal anymore. Right, right. I, I you know, I could not uh, put, you know, no one ever told me that. Uh, no one, you know, put me in a box somewhere. Uh, but yet it's a really powerful. It always has been. If mm-hmm. I'm feeling like trapped, it's like stand back. It's an unconditioned threat stimulus, right? Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. yeah. It's quite 
quite fascinating, quite fascinating. Uh, but the fact that, you know, you know, having that space is, is really interesting. So uh, let's take some space here. We need to uh, uh, break. Uh, this is Gord Riddell, and you're listening to Things Worth Considering with my guests, Ron Young and Michelle DeRoche. And we will be back on the other side of these commercials. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Imagine a place where ancient wisdom and modern research combine to create a non-judgmental, dynamic educational environment. We believe learning is much more than just theories. It is the application of those theories that anchor your learning deep inside yourself. Our physical, emotional, intellectual, and spiritual selves are embraced and nurtured, learning how to create an internal balance. This is Transformational Arts College of Spiritual and Holistic Training. Since 1988, we continue our mission of spiritually focused education for all who seek. We offer integrative personal development and professional training in spiritual psychotherapy, holistic health care, spiritual director, coaching, and esoteric studies. We are located in Lawrence Park in Toronto on Young Street, north of Lawrence Avenue. It's easy to get to and harder to leave. Visit our website at transformationalarts.com or inquire at TAC at transformationalarts.com or call us toll free at 1-888-TAC-SELF. Transformational Arts, bringing body, mind, and spirit together. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite hosts. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to Things Worth Considering with Gord Vidal and Dr. Jan Hill. We'd love to hear from you via email to info at spiritgrows.ca. That's info at spiritgrows.ca. Now, back to Things Worth Considering. Hi, and welcome back. Uh, this is Gord Riddell, and uh, I'm here with uh, Ron Young and Michelle Durash. And we're talking about the uh, technique called havening, uh, which is bringing back into a place of safety. Um, so let's, uh, let's go a little bit further, uh, Ron, uh, in terms of how Amy, the amygdala, she manifests. Like freezing? Oh, yes. Flight, fright, she flight, gets, flight. She, she has a reactive response to a stimulus. It could be something she sees or something she hears, something she notices. And she can go into fight. She can go into a flight mode or a freeze mode or even defensive rage. And so a client will come to me with these behaviors and, and doesn't know why, doesn't understand. We deal with the trauma. So we want, we want Amy or the amygdala to be depotentiated from those triggers, those things that uh, in the some of which we're not going to know. Yes. Until it, you know, it happens, you're like, 
Uh, I yes, didn't know this bothered me that much. <laughs> a woman goes into panic attack in my office because of my clocks. Because when her perpetrator perpetrated her, she froze looking at a clock, and the amygdala mm. memorized that, and, and it just uh, so. I want to get her out of that. I want those signals to be dismantled or delinked, as we say it in my world. Like smells uh, uh, oh, yes. are very Absolutely. powerful. Absolutely. Yeah, and you can you can pull that pull that back. Mm-hmm. Hmm. That's a, that's a huge trigger for people. So when we talk about havening, we, I always explain the science behind it because that's very important for the client to kind of understand informationally. Because what I'm about to do is to gently touch the client, mm-hmm. and I'm going to stimulate their Merkel receptors on the skin, the face, the hands, and the arms. So this is an unusual protocol. It's something similar to the meridian process of tapping, but this is, of course, the amygdala information system. So what I would be doing and have the person remember that perpetration of whatever happened to them in that event. We call it event Mm hating. And they can remember it like it was yesterday. And then uh, I'll have them think about it for a few seconds and then I'll I'll get their their declarative memory, their episodic memory, and get them to working memory and I'll I'll have them um, distracted. So I may have their imagination walking on a beach or they might climb a set of stairs, or they might hum a tune. Uh, It's irrelevant what the distraction is, but while they're being distracted, I will then put my hands on their shoulders and down their arms with their permission and stimulate the delta wave in the brain. And as you know, there are several different kinds of frequency waves in the brain, and as I'm doing that, it's calming. And the amygdala has these ampar receptors that is being stimulated, and as we are havening, it takes away that signal on what's called the AMPAR receptor. And then when we are done, the client is sensorily shifted. They no longer have the senses. They may not have the imagery. They may not have the smells anymore. They may not have the hearing of the event anymore. Mm-hmm. And they will actually often say to me, boy, that I, I, I can't seem to bring it back to my mind and when they can't bring the sensory memory back then the the other components the emotional the physical the somatosensory and so on also dissipates at the same time absolutely would you have experienced that as well absolutely it takes away the the button the button that used to get depressed and create all of the the sensory the emotional the cognitive disturbances um, when they can't access the the reaction anymore, they can't access the trauma anymore. Then all that other stuff, that chain reaction, doesn't happen. Right, right. It's quite amazing. <clears throat> well, it's uh, they talk about, like in therapy. We'll you know uh, we'll talk about where we we move sort of these events into our and finally now becomes part of our history. Mm-hmm. It's not defining us any longer. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you know, uh, so many of our lives are defined by what what happened and not where we're at or in some cases are. you know um they the memory actually becomes kind of fuzzy or it, it's not as accessible anymore but what i often say to my clients is you know you'll still remember it it just won't grab your guts the way it used to exactly right? who needs details of perpetration now a story yeah. you know what happened to you it's never going to be a pleasant story yes. it's never going to be something you're glad that happened but it's also not going to you know it's not going to d- disable you anymore. Right, right, you know? right. And, and they're good with that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> really? Yeah. Uh, you know, the number of people that are disabled, I mean, 
and I don't mean that in a you know I can't walk. I mean these are people that are just frozen. Yes. You know, uh, with what's happened to them. And there's some pretty horrible stories out there. Mm-hmm. You know, it really is. And it's really horrible that after this many years here on this planet that we're still carrying on. Uh, in fact, I think we're, we're degenerating, um, regressing in terms of how we treat one another, mm-hmm. uh, which yes. is really, really unfortunate. Because, you know, as you said, you know, um, you, you talked about the, the whole thing of connection and community, you know, the work that that uh, uh, Brene Brown does in yes. vulnerability mm-hmm. and community and so on. Uh, you know, we're just hardwired for this mm-hmm. and people don't recognize the importance of community and the importance of us being there for one another. It's beautiful you would say that because mm-hmm. clients of mine and I'm sure of, of Michelle's who have anger, they're very angry. When that anger is gone, there's no more no stimulus anymore. They are kinder. They're more compassionate. They go back to what they were designed to be. It's beautiful. Right. Yeah. Yeah, which is like to be, I don't know, nice people, <laughs> good people, kind people. Yeah. I was attracted to this whole concept in the first place many years ago as a professor. I, I was looking for ways in, in my research to, to be more effective with my clients. And I mm-hmm. stumbled on a book by Ron Rudin. Um, when the past is always present. And it was such an impactful concept uh, for me is because that's what my clients, they feel they're in, they're always in the past. It right, shapes right. them, history shapes us. And when they actually have this love and this compassion for other people, especially for people that they need to forgive, it's absolutely revolutionary. Yeah. There, you know, there's people that at some point, almost like, um, I mean, I'm just conjecturing here uh, from personal experiences of, they they sort of stopped living somewhere back mm. at university. Mm. That was like the best time that ever was, or yeah, just yeah. their marriage. And they coming forward, it almost like they move into a vacuum. Sure, and, it's, and there's it's nothing more to decision. talk about. It's that decision that Amy made at some point, which is yes. I will never put myself in that position again. I will never let myself yes. get hurt that way again. Mm. And so people start living their lives in chronic avoidance of mm-hmm. anything remotely connected to that event or that that level of pain again and so yeah empty lives in in lots of ways and 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 acting from those um adverse child events that we talked about not always connected to them though right like i have a lot of clients who you know they're they're adults now they've moved on they've formed their own lives they don't give a lot of thought to those childhood traumas Right, and right. if we, you know, if we subscribe to what Gabor Mate is always talking about, right, like childhood trauma, trauma is the root of most of our dysfunctions. Yes. And so this really goes hand in hand with havening and, um, you know, those adverse childhood experiences, if, if our clients can start to remember those and and actually recognize the decisions that Emily or that Amy made. <laughs> you know, when those were happening, right. so much of their life starts to make more sense to them. Yeah. And it opens yeah. up new possibilities. And Well, I think I think we very often get get off on the wrong tangents. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I, I was thinking exactly of Gabor Mate when you when you mentioned his name um, in terms of saying, you know, we have to stop asking about what is it with the addictions mm. and ask, what is it with the pain? Yes, Why are these people yes. in so much pain? Okay. And when I'm teaching addictions now, I mean, that's really the focus I've taken is forget the addiction stuff. We need to understand why are we in so much pain in our society? And the client will love you for that. 
so they don't feel judged? Well, I don't judge them. I don't judge anybody for what they're doing. You know, I, 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 don't, I don't want them to hurt themselves. I don't yes. want to find that they're one of any number of people that are dying because of the opioid crisis that's yeah. going on, uh, which is just un, unbelievable that this could happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that, you know, when we, we ask then, who, who are these people that are, are using, who are willing to risk knowing that there is a sort of you know, renegade drug out there that's getting, being put in into other drugs uh, as a as a cut or a mix or whatever. Um, that they're 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 willing to risk dying for that mm-hmm. to get away from whatever that pain is. Mm-hmm. And you know, my experience is dollars to donuts. They can't identify what that pain is because it's their new norm. It's a it's a whole yeah. norm that they're living in. Yeah. So the idea that, you know, the neuroscience is taking us to a, a different place that, you know, by the, the understanding that touch introduces a delta wave yes. and that delta wave is like, oh, zap, you know, yeah. and just pulls apart the emotional we're, attachment we're to it. We're an electrochemical being. We are. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, I don't, I, well, we're just energy, you know, and I don't think that whether it's electrochemical, it doesn't matter. We're just energy and we just don't get it. I just don't think we, we, we appreciate the requirements around that energy, and that's what which they, is a whole they, spiritual piece. Sorry for interrupting. That's where the no. Havening Institute of Canada is all about. We are informing therapists, doctors, psychiatrists about that energy that we can actually shift our energies within us into a healthier place. Yes. Yes, absolutely. I, I believe that's what we do here at the school. <clears throat> you know, with a little bit of work, you know, we have to sort of slap them around a little bit. But... <laughs> Hey, it's just another trauma. I send them over to you. You work with it. We what, created what about, a safe place in Havening, and then yes. we, you know, kick their butts <laughs> over here. <and> back. <laughs> uh, in Havening, so does Havening exist in the U.S.? Does it exist yes. in the U.K., yes. uh, uh, Ireland? Havening basically began in the United States with Dr. Ron and Stephen Rudin. Okay, yes, out of New York. And then, and then in the U.K., it became uh, a, a very popular in the U.K., and now it's all over Europe, and uh, Havening.org has a map of all the different uh, places where Havening uh, is existing, where it's practiced. Mm-hmm. And the Havening Institute of Canada is about certifying and training uh, therapists and doctors, psychiatrists, and so on, um, this effective uh, protocol. And Dr. Rudin is not a psychologist, he's an internist, mm-hmm. and uh, he, he's a profoundly wise man and how he has made this discovery and how he's he's uh, strategized it into a protocol. Right, right, right. So yeah. it's all over the world. Interesting. Okay. Okay. That's cool. Because uh, I'm not, you know, my introduction to you uh, a few months ago was sort of the first time I really, you know, gotten to know a little bit about it. Uh, well, it was the Swiss chocolate, I think, wasn't it? <laughs> it was the Swiss chocolate that did it. Exactly. But the uh, Rudin, look, he's the Rudin again. brothers did research for was it eight years before they launched this you know so it's actually only been um you know being used and and talked about and taught for about five six years right and so a lot of people don't know about this technique like it's still in its very early stages research continues there's a hundred and uh 150,000 clinical uh records now and, wow. and uh, there's white papers we're getting peer-reviewed. This is all very important because it's it's very the important. science behind yeah. it. Yeah. Um, so if I could pull anything from that is, is I want to keep my Amy safe. All right. What are things I can do? 
Well, before I have to come to you, depending on how dysfunctional things, if you want to quit smoking, for example, or you're finding you you are anxious or you have a lot of fear, um, you would go see a therapist, go talk to someone who does uh, havening. Uh, we can also teach people to do self-haven as well. Right, right, right. And so I guess what I'm thinking in terms of listeners uh, today, like that they can take away, you know, certainly fabulous, worth considering here. Um, but, you know, is there is there a way like through meditation, through mindfulness, through sort of those kinds of things that, that you know, I guess calming, anything that calms us. I see what you're saying. Yes, absolutely. Would be Mind- nurturing. Mindfulness and meditation and even yoga and some of these are, uh, are great to help, Amy, but it doesn't take away or depotentiate the uh, AMPA receptors that have recorded it. It's helpful, but it doesn't take it away. Right, that right. Makes sense too. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Um, Is that your experience with? Yeah, it, it's it's really in that in that delta wave state where the chemicals that are being released allow for the depotentiation or the delinking. Right. Um, and so that that part needs to needs to happen. So there's lots of things people can do to soothe themselves, to calm themselves, but it doesn't necessarily mean that that trigger won't be there again tomorrow. Right, right, right. right. Well, certainly, certainly in in uh, you know, for instance, in DBT, we have that whole in in just you know, learning how to bring somebody out down from their emotional reactions and so on. Mm-hmm. There's, you know, emotional dysregulation and, and find ways of self-soothing. Absolutely. You know, yeah. and I think a lot of people don't know how to do that. I mean, one of the things I think we've learned about trauma in general is that traditional psychotherapy doesn't touch trauma. It doesn't really work. It need, And so havening is a psychosensory therapy. And, and so there are other psychosensory therapies as well that are proven to be more useful with trauma than just straight talk therapy. Yep. But, you know, havening is, is one that um, I've, I'm impressed. I've done emotional freedom technique or tapping, and I've, I've not gotten the results with that, and I'm not trying to put that one down because yep. it's good for what it is. It, yeah, but, absolutely. But havening touches in a, a, with the amygdala, and it, it does... And and clients will say it as well. Like they after a session, they will sit back and and just sit with the feeling for a few minutes, and they go like something has changed inside of me. Like they feel it instantly. They can actually feel sometimes some activation in the back of their back of their head. You can almost feel, you know, the 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 shifting going on, and um, you know they also feel very relaxed. They feel very comfortable. They feel very safe, yeah. which is what havening is about, right? Creating that safe haven. And and then once you've done that, things start to shift. Right. Yeah. Right. And not just cognitively and emotionally, but physiologically as well. Yeah. 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 This has been fascinating. Uh, I thank you, Ron. I thank you, Michelle, for coming out. Um, they, if someone wanted to be in touch with you, they could be in touch with you through the Havening Institute of Havening. Dot org. The Havening Institute of Canada.com okay. and or life.management at rogers.com. They'll find that on the website. Okay. Havening Institute of Canada.com. And if you and if all else fails, then through our uh, uh, station here yes. at uh, info <laughs> at uh, spiritgrows.ca, uh, you can get in touch with uh, Jan and I. She will be back uh, next week. Um, and we thank you for being here and listening to us. We hope that you've learned something and something that is worth considering. We wish you a great week. Bye now. Thank you for tuning into Things Worth Considering. Please join your hosts, Dr. Jan Hill and Gord Riddell, for another edition next Thursday 
at 5 p.m. Pacific Time and 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, think about the connections in your life and how they define who you are. 